Welcome to the Age of Organizational Effectiveness. This is the podcast that explores stories about organizations and their performance. I'm your host, Charles Chandler. This is episode number 63 of the Age of Organizational Effectiveness podcast. Today I'm joined by a special guest, Mr. Karim Bechet, who you'll be hearing about in a moment. So on with the show. And I'm joined now by Karim Bechet, who's Principal Consultant at Living Organizations, where they empower organizations toward a clear, agile structure and a stronger purpose. So we agreed to talk about holacracy. Can holacracy replace bureaucracy is, is really the title of this uh, podcast episode. For our audience that may not have heard this term before, um, give us a little introduction, if you would. Sure. Are you talking about bureaucracy or holacracy? Well, bureaucracy, of course... Um, was sort of a technology of the mid 1800s uh, when the railroads came along and uh, bureaus were invented that um, sort of divided the work and specialized the work into different things so that the organization had greater capacity. Um, I think people are familiar with bureaucracy, but it has kind of a bad name these days. It's, It's associated with, in some circles at least, government inefficiency uh, or whatever. Let's talk about bureaucracy just for a minute. What, what's your feeling on that these days? Yeah, I mean, I actually come from uh, Egypt. That's where I was born and lived uh, for most of my life. I moved to the United States 10 years ago. And, it's, and over there, bureaucracy is much, even much more heavy-handed than it is here. And definitely, it's, it is one of the most frustrating um, aspects of people working together that I've found, whether as an employee or as a CEO or as a consultant, I've been all three, is when... Uh, politicking and the kind of like interpersonal dynamics and um, the processes get in the way to such a degree that people are constantly feeling frustrated at work and unable to fulfill their purpose or or do the work that they want to get done. So absolutely, it does have a bad name. And uh, that's why I really appreciated you kind of titling this as holacracy versus can it replace bureaucracy? Can, Can a system like holacracy replace these ways that a lot of us feel so bogged down at work um, that we just dissociate or disconnect and are no longer connected to our purpose and and our performance there. So in the case of holacracy, uh, I'm assuming that the bureaus go away (laughs) and and we have something of a whole, of a whole that that self-organizes in some way. Uh, Tell us what is a holacracy. For sure. So holacracy uh, actually comes from the term um, holarchy or, um, you know, or from a basically a collection of holons. It's named so because it basically distributes the work um, instead of around the people, um, you know, which we're used to in the command and control structure, which has a name, you know, command and control, where you come to a traditional hierarchy in any organization. I would say like 99% of the organizations around the world, everywhere from government to families, uh, work in some form of command and control hierarchy. Uh, holacracy instead replaces this hierarchy uh, by a different kind of hierarchy. It's a big misconception out there that holacracy doesn't have hierarchy. It does. But it's just not a hierarchy of people. It is a hierarchy of work, a hierarchy of roles. So whereas to say, instead of me thinking of myself as, you know, the CEO or instead of me thinking of myself as the VP of engineering, I would instead uh, distribute all the different um, hats that I wear, whether that's strategist, you know, lead, um, advisor, consultant, all of these different things into smaller, discrete roles. And then these roles would organize um, and we would organize what we call around the work, not around the people. That is one of the essential elements of holacracy and why it's called holacracy is because it organizes in that particular way. Yeah. So if I was, you know, a manager or a 
CEO of an organization, why would I want to mm-hmm. think about holacracy as a way forward? Thank you. That's a that's a great question. So I think that um, to really think about holacracy, we need to dispel a certain kind of uh, myth that has been, um, you know, just like it's for so long. Um, I read this article once about um, a, a novelist in, in New York who had written about how they anticipated that um, New York City would be covered um, would be covered in, in, in feces, uh, you know, in, within the next like 50 or 100 years, because there were so many horses that were riding around New York City and so many carriages that just like the problem was just uh, profligating and they couldn't do anything about it. And then, you know, cars came about and completely shifted the paradigm in terms of technology. Command and control that, you know, we've come to assume it so much that this is the natural way of working together, but it's actually a technology. It's a technology created by human beings. It's not divine order. It's not natural order. Uh, it was designed probably by the Chinese military around 3,000 years ago for a very specific purpose. It does certain things really well and other things it does not. Uh, but we rely on it so much that we don't assume that there's an technology out there. Holacracy is actually another technology. So the reason why as a manager I would be considering something like holacracy is for a bunch of reasons. One is if I feel like a constant bottleneck. I mean, people assume that managers are really happy when the team keeps referring to them and then when they have all the power. But most CEOs or managers I've spoken to that have too much power feel miserable. Um, they are, they're constantly playing father or mother to everyone at the organization. They're constantly just dealing with interpersonal issues and they feel like their employees are acting like children, even though their employees inherently are not immature people. But the system itself warrants the disempowerment of the employee and everything kind of funneling through the manager. So uh, the reason why a lot of CEOs and managers come to me to implement the system is because they don't want to be a bottleneck anymore. They're passionate about their team. They're passionate about the purpose of their organization and they want to get out of the way and just set the right standards and direction for the organization and then let that lead instead of them everything having to funnel through them. That's one reason that that what people would would want to choose holacracy. One of the other paradigms that people are talking about these days is the organization as a complex adaptive system, uh, which uh, like a flock of birds or a colony of ants or something like that. Mm-hmm. And in that paradigm, there is an idea that, yeah, management should get out of the way, we should have self-organization, but that also presents some challenges. Can this holacracy idea uh, marry itself to the realities of the complex adaptive system? Uh, thank you. Great question. I, I think um, it's the best system that I've seen marry itself to it, and I think primarily because it does not shy away from power. I think uh, the mistake of a lot of self-organizing ideals is that they're, anti, they're anti-power. They go too far on the other end of the scale where they say, we're tired of hierarchy, we're tired of command and control, so we're just going to create a flat organization where there is no leadership. But no bosses doesn't mean no leadership. It just means that power and leadership should be fluid. That's all. So within one context, like right now, for example, um, you and I are speaking. You're asking me questions about holacracy. I inherently have some power in this conversation because I understand what we're talking about. As soon as we switch to any of the subjects that you are much more a subject matter expert in, the power should be handed over. But if one of us were the CEO in this situation, we were in the same company, you would constantly be, uh, one of us would be constantly deferring to the other who has, you know, the positional power. Instead, we say, let's make power fluid, which is actually a lot more how nature works. There's a lot of power in nature, a lot of power in adaptive systems, but it's allowed to move instead of stagnating in one position. That's the genius that I think is of holacracy is that it doesn't shy away from power. It embraces it, but makes it flexible and contextual based on what we're discussing what, who's the subject matter uh, expert, 
And we're allowed to do that because of these things that I call roles. We can step in and out of the roles and each role has a different kind of power. Yeah, I like that. You also mentioned that purpose, the organization's purpose is furthered in a way by moving toward holacracy. Speak to us a little bit about how, how purpose and holacracy work together. Sure, I'd love to. Um, basically, I, I've worked in, in you know, uh, over a dozen organizations in my brief career, and uh, I've, I may have read maybe half of their vision mission statements and then forgotten them the next day. I've definitely never reread them again while I was working for an organization. There's kind of this thing that we think about at best once a year for most organizations and then never. What Holacracy does is it says, let's not use vision and mission statements. Let's instead have a purpose that is very grounded and clear that answers the question is of what would there be less of in the world if this organization did not exist? What is this organization here to achieve? What if, if achieved would make this organization obsolete? And it's a discrete, unique statement not like a long paragraph, just like one, one sentence about what are we here to do. And then once the organization sets its purpose, every role and every circle, a circle is basically when a role grows enough in holacracy, it becomes a circle, a collection of roles. It works kind of like a team. They set their own purpose. And then every time before you take on work, you're asked, does this help fulfill your role's purpose? So you're supposed to actually say no to work if it doesn't help you fulfill your role's purpose. So this way, what it does is it creates a North Star, a guiding light to every single role in the organization about how they're deciding to do their work and what is, what is the reason they're saying yes or no to work and what is the reason they're prioritizing work. So that purpose becomes a living, breathing statement to every role. And then all you need to keep doing, which Holacracy has a really good way of doing, is realigning every role's purpose to their circle's purpose and then that to the organization's purpose. And then if we keep doing that and every single person just answers the question, am I doing this to fulfill my role's purpose, then we're all actually working towards our purpose and moving the organization forward, whether or not we ever read a vision or mission statement. So that's part of what I love about Holacracy is this way that it can really ground um, our ground purpose into a, a, a statement that is usable in day-to-day -day activities and not just kind of some lofty ideal that none of us pay attention to. That's interesting. You, you may not have listened to other, other episodes of this podcast, but what we say that the purpose of every organization is the same, and that is to be effective within its environment. And that's the whole idea mm. of the age of organizational effectiveness is that basically we're all trying to do the same things. But effectiveness doesn't occur at the overall organizational level. It, it occurs at the level of the products and services. So what we would advocate basically is empowering teams that uh, focus on each of the products and services, and then they're empowered to create effectiveness within the results chains for each of those things. So it, it sounds like uh, some of the language you're using, although it has different definitions perhaps, but I think we're moving somewhat in the same direction. Yes, yes, I absolutely agree. And, uh, and to speak a little more about when you said adaptive organizations, you know, it's, it's a pretty, I think, uh, important term and also pretty broad. I mean, people mean very different things when they say adaptive. And I just want to speak a little bit to how um, Holacracy can really create an, an actually adaptive organization. Because you have all of these roles now. So imagine now an organization, instead of having, you know, a 20-person organization, instead of having these 20 positions, you have hundreds of roles, each one with very explicit purpose and very explicit accountability. So you know exactly what each role is responsible for. Everyone has a system of changing theirs and others' roles that they're interacting with, accountabilities. 
So you basically have much more like an adaptive or living system, much more like a, like a natural system where small changes are happening imperceptibly, not controlled by one central system. Just like the human body, if the brain controlled everything, the human body wouldn't function as well as it does. Some things are controlled by the brain, others by the central nervous system, and others at the extremities, like on the cellular level and on the skin and whatnot. So the holacracy works at the same thing where some strategic, strategic decisions and alignment happen in the central you know, system of the brain or the general company circle at the top level. But then each circle or each team, like you mentioned before, has the power and autonomy to keep adjusting itself based on the market, based on the realities they see, without ever checking in with the central nervous system or the CEO or whomever it is, like the boss. This way, you have an organization that is adapting and changing that nobody can, con no, no singular, singular entity, sorry, can control or predict. And that's truly adaptive in a way that I haven't seen other systems uh, be able to achieve. So in Holacracy, what is the feedback, the immediate feedback that you receive so that you know you're moving in the right direction? I mean, let's, let's say we're, we're playing a video game and we're driving down, you know, it's a race car kind of a game and we turn right and mm -hmm. we see the screen move us to the right, uh, which gives us the kind of immediate feedback we need to continue on. So we need in, in organizations, certainly immediate feedback that tells us we're doing the right thing. Uh, we haven't had that. Uh, if, if you're, you know, pursuing profit or if you're pursuing shareholder value, those things really like looking in the rearview mirror uh, and doing um, some con contortions that don't serve your purpose necessarily. So tell us about uh, how, how Holacracy gives us feedback that, that tells us we're, we're doing the right thing. Sure. Uh, that's a great question. So basically, um, there's a couple of things. So firstly, there's an aspect of Holacracy where every single circle or every single team has a weekly tactical meeting. And this tactical meeting runs in a very disciplined and organized way. And at the beginning of every meeting, we have you know people come in, they check in personally, just say how they're doing. And then you do these things called checklists, metrics, then project updates. Checklists are basically just items that you say check or no check to. You know, This is just the team making sure that we're keeping the lights on, that things are going okay, that there are no red flags. So it's like, you know, our timesheets are filled. You know, there's no customer complaints, nothing's on fire, that kind of thing. Then you move into metrics. So think about this. You're just making sure that everything's okay and running smooth. And then on a weekly basis, you're looking at some metrics that the lead link of the circle, which is the role that is responsible for the strategy of each circle, is setting metrics. So it becomes such a data-driven organization. It's such a quick feedback loop about are we on point or are, are, are we off point? And it's an essential thing, uh, it's an essential element, Charles, to moving away from the boss because we used to just look to the boss for alignment to say, how am I doing, boss? Am I good? Is my boss happy? Then my team is okay. But once you really remove the idea of the boss, uh, the danger is, the shadow of that is, is that the, the, it can become chaotic and the circles can just you know, be running around, chasing their own tails and not moving in any direction. So it's these metrics and these strategies that align each team to its parent team and then everyone is held accountable to hitting these metrics um and holacracy uh holacracy proper doesn't do this but i do this with a lot of the organizations that i do implementations with is i marry holacracy with okrs are you familiar with okrs uh yes yes although our our listeners yeah. may not be great Thank you. Yeah. So OKRs, which stands for objectives and key results, which is a way for the the kind of parent circle or the 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 strategy of the company to set three objectives per quarter. So three things that they want to achieve and then set three ways that they're going to measure the success of each objective. And then each subsequent circle under that creates their own objectives and key results. 
So it's a way to have great autonomy for each team while maintaining very, very strict alignment. So that's one of the ways that people get a lot of feedback is just they immediately see the impact of their work in the metrics that they're looking at every single week. So talk about being goal oriented, where a lot of teams struggle with just saying like, we don't, we're not really sure if we're on goal or if we're on track or if we're just working to stay busy. Metrics can really keep us honest in this way. So would you say this is very much like the agile process and scrum teams and things like that? Or, or is it a departure from that? It's, it's definitely really inspired by the Agile process. It brings a lot of Agile. I, I think Holacracy is inspired by sociocracy, by Agile and Scrum methodology, uh, by, um, what else, by GTD, by David Allen's Getting Things Done body of work. It's kind of amalgamation and then added on to all of these, but definitely heavily inspired. How do we bring Agile uh, principles and Scrum principles into non-programming non, uh, non teams? Yeah, so Agile came out of the quality movement, you could say, and particularly software quality. Would you associate Holacracy with the quality movement, you know, TQM and other things like that? Honestly, I don't, I, I don't know if I would associate it because I've never heard of the quality movement. Uh, so, I, I, I mean, I know, I know, I know I've been swimming in the Holacracy waters for three years and haven't heard that before. So I wouldn't associate it, but maybe it is associated with it. Yeah, I think it probably is. And, and you could, you know, investigate that a little bit further. Quality movement, of course, goes way back to, I guess, start at the uh, Japanese um, auto industry and, and after World War II and, and trying to come back, build their industry back, and, and certain quality ec experts uh, helped them along the way there, many of them American. So I won't go into all that, but um, I'm just trying to give some context and see how you know, the, the holacracy we're talking about uh, might be related to some other ideas. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's absolutely, I, I, again, yeah, I, I'm definitely going to look it up. I don't know enough about the quality movement itself, but there is, um, there, there is definitely this relationship to discipline and the idea of excellence, which I imagine the quality movement from just from its name and from what little you've told me about it has, has something to do with. But just really this idea of, um, and one of the reasons I really love Holacracy, and one of the reasons I've personally grown to love Holacracy so much that I made it my career, is to implement Holacracy in other organizations. It demands such a high level of personal integrity and excellence to do well in Holacracy. To sense in yourself what role you're speaking from, uh, what, what you're trying to accomplish, to always be asking, what purpose am I fulfilling by taking on this body of work? to be given so much autonomy and then be held to high standards. So, you know, so it's basically high expectations, but also high support system. So it demands so much of people that I've seen and watched people grow so much in a kind of a personal excellence, personal integrity kind of way. And that I really, I really love the aspect of Holacracy on a personal level. Yeah, it sounds, uh, it sounds very action oriented and with immediate feedback from your group as you have your weekly meetings mm -hmm. and, and you check in with each other. Um, but beyond these weekly meetings, is there some software or other structured processes that are required if I'm getting ready to adopt uh, some of your ideas? Walk me through, think, you know, how, how you would get started, basically. Sure. So Holacracy One and Holacracy have a software that they use and, on, you know, an application called GlassFrog. And GlassFrog is where basically you would, um, where you... Uh, implant where you basically put all these roles and these accountabilities and it, and it creates this really beautiful again adaptive living map of your organization very different than just an org chart that you create once and then renew every year or two with a bunch of consultants this is a living chart of every single accountability that changes 
everything is completely transparent. So anybody in the organization can look for, hey, who's responsible for sending out the survey? Who's responsible for updating our Facebook page, whatever? And you can find out exactly who's responsible for what. It's called Glass Frog. It's also where they run the tactical meetings, so where you kind of figure out next actions and projects and do all these updates. And then at the end of a tactical meeting, Glassfrog sends out an email to everyone with all the actions that were requested of them so that we keep everyone accountable and we kind of maintain trust in the system. Um, so Glassfrog is primarily the tool that Holacracy uses. When I do implementations, I actually like to take the tactical piece out of Glassfrog and put it into Asana. Some people call it Asana. It's, um, have you, are you familiar with it? It's an online project management tool that I found really excellent. And then I marry um, Holacracy with GTD, with David Allen's getting things done, so that organizations are basically doing both Holacracy Tactical and then doing the, the personal version of that, which is their own GTD and organizing their work and prioritizing their work. And we do all of that into Asana, which creates an incredible level of transparency and efficacy in terms of how tasks get distributed. So these are primarily the two, the two tools that I would use with someone. Okay. So what size organizations can implement this? Are we talking about small organizations, medium-sized, large ones? Are there any uh, sorts of limits there? Um, I have not found a limitation yet. To my knowledge, the largest organization that has implemented Holacracy so far has been Zappos, which is you know close to 3,000 employees. I've implemented it with organizations as small as, as three people. I think three people would be the minimum, <laughs> minimum number of people for it to work. Uh, and I've seen it really work across. It's less about the size that makes it appropriate and more about where the organization is culturally and are they ready for the shift of taking responsibility for their work, taking responsibility, you know, moving out of a kind of victim stance that a lot of us can get into in work where, you know, my company's doing this, my boss is doing this to me, I'm a victim of my circumstance, instead to step into, um, yeah, just step into kind of a, an entrepreneurial role within your work and taking ownership of your purpose in your work. So that has been usually what I told clients about whether or not they're ready, way more than any kind of size restriction that I've seen. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Zappos. Let's go back to that for just a minute. And the press, I think, mm -hmm. has created a little buzz around Zappos and whether or not they continued with Holacracy, for one thing. Can you mm -hmm. give us a little update on that? Sure. So I just want to be clear, I wasn't involved with the Zappos implementation. This was managed primarily by Holacracy One, who are the creators of Holacracy. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a licensed provider, and I, do, I have my own flavor of it. Um, I think, you know, it's really interesting. I, the, you know, uh, media is really interesting and, and uh, just a vortex for me. I think uh, part of the reason why the buzz tended to be more on the negative side towards Zappos is because Zappos was such a golden child. That's what's more interesting in a story is the fall of the giant instead of you know all the things that are working. So the media seems to really focus on the you know the fall of Tony Shea, the fall of Zappos, how the culture of Zappos is being impacted by Holacracy in a negative way. Um, so I think that's been um, that's part of the reason why there's been so much negative media around it. But I think also because the the, the implementation did come as a bit of a in my best understanding from people I've spoken to either at the company or people who work closely with the implementation, it came kind of like a cultural shock. Holacracy can be a lot. I mean, even now, the the concepts I've described, I've described about 10 or 15% of the system. Um, it could be a really complex and complicated system. And I think if thrust upon an organization as one big, uh, as just like one big implementation, uh, there tends to be a lot of resistance um, to the point where I've, I've heard before people at Holacracy want to say that you should expect 10 to 15% of your employees to leave in a Holacracy implementation. 
Um, I've done, you know, over 20 implementations so far, and I haven't, I really, I've only had one person leave because of Holacracy itself. And the reason for that is because I've learned to phase out the implementation and slow down the process of implementing Holacracy and, and break it down into smaller uh, bite-sized chunks so that people can kind of really rise into the empowerment of Holacracy instead of having it thrust upon them. I mean, there's a lot of details to that. But I think, um, yeah, I think in a lot of ways it created a lot of beauty and good work at Zappos, but in other ways it came as a big culture shock for folks. Yeah, I don't know too much about the Zappos implementation myself, but I would think that for a large organization mm -hmm. to adopt it, it would require major change in culture, um, whereas a smaller organization might uh, adapt to that more easily, I would think. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm working currently with a 500-person organization, so I'm by no means massive, but definitely pretty big. Uh, I mean, you know, it's, got, it's, it's crossed a, cer a certain threshold. There hasn't been as much pain because of, this phase, because of this phased idea where we take people through it one step at a time, allow them to feel settled and empowered in the system first before moving to the next step. Um, the, for, so far, the surveys from folks about their impression of holacracy and how much it's impacting their day-to-day -day work has been pretty positive. Okay, so let's say we slow down the implementation, give it a gradual pace that's mm -hmm. easily absorbed. Uh, what are we talking about in terms of time frame there? Sure. So basically, um, initially, it would be about. Uh, it again totally depends on size. So let's let's say I'm talking to you know a, a fifty person organization because that tends to be the average size of organizations that I work with. So with a fifty person organization, it would take about two to three weeks initially to set up just your initial structure to get everything into GlassFrog and just like imprint what you're actually doing now into this new system of GlassFrog. And then we would do the tactical implementation. So that's where I would teach them getting things done, the tactical processes of Holacracy, and just get into the rhythm of doing tactical meetings and aligning behind the objectives and key results and setting strategy in this way. So it's a lot of new things. That takes about six to eight weeks um, of weekly tactical meetings with every single team. And then after that, we can move to the distributed governance aspect of Holacracy, and that takes about uh, two to three months to fully implement. So I would say a full implementation is about five months of work, but people can and should be perceiving the difference and the benefit of Holacracy within the first month and a half to two months max. That's my expectation for my clients. Well, it doesn't seem too different than, than any other thing you might try to, uh, to do. Yeah. It's still going to take you six yeah. months in any yeah. case. Um, well, we're, we're just about out of time, but what could you leave our viewers with or our listeners with that uh, we haven't talked about, kind of wrap this up a bit? Yeah, I would definitely leave them with, it's, uh, whether it's Holacracy or anything else, it is, it, it's unfortunately uh, often an afterthought for a lot of organizations about how are we internally functioning together, how are we working together. Um, and it's so much of what an organization is, as you've named it. So it's a collection of people and individuals around a certain purpose. So strengthening and clarifying the relationship between these people and one another and how they work together, in having trust become an output of the system instead of a requirement of the system. Um, and then clarifying and strengthening the relationship to the purpose is, in my mind, one of the, the better things that an organization can spend some time and energy on. Um, you know, it, it, it can increase your output so much and just make your day-to-day -day functioning so much more fluid and so much more pleasant to be around. Ultimately, we're all human beings and we want a good experience of being at the workplace that, um, yeah, I just really want to encourage organizations to take a look inward and take the time to pause, look inward and see, like, are we functioning well? Are we a functional team? This group, this collection of individuals who are here to fulfill this purpose, are, is our system working for us or working against us? It's just a really important question for people to ask. Oh, that's great advice. 
And uh, it's been a great pleasure to have you with us today, Kareem. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. So that's going to wrap it up for episode 63. But you can access all of our podcast episodes at our website, ageofoe.com. And leave us a comment out there if you found something of interest. Join us again next week as we again explore organizations and their performance. So long for now.